and welcome to episode 76 of Penny Red. My name is Daniel Hodges, writer and designer of Victoria and Faith, and uh, your host. Today, my guest is Jeffrey Meyer. Now, some of you may know Jeffrey without even knowing that you know him, but Jeffrey works at Crazy Eagles, the role-playing game uh, shop. Um, you may have seen it at Origins or until the last couple of years, perhaps at Gen Con. Jeffrey uh, grew up in a, in a role-playing shop. In fact, uh, his father went into the shop and uh, slew a monster, and it was treasure type G, and they rolled up a special <laughs> item, and the special item was Jeffrey. So, Jeffrey, how's it going? It's fairly well. How about you? I'm I'm doing just uh, fine, as I, as I generally say. Nothing particular to uh, to report. We're a little bit pressed for time, so I'm going to crack on and try and get in the most action-packed, interesting interview that I can in the shortest <laughs> period of time possible. So um, I gave you a bit of an ham-fisted introduction. You might like to do a better job of it than that. Uh, no, that's about all it is. Uh, Crazy Igor is actually my father. Other than that, I've been doing the role-playing thing forever, and yeah, I'm Jeffrey. That's it. We're done. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you get started in role-playing? Obviously, um, being um, the son of a role-playing store owner, that's going to have brought you into contact with the, the stuff. But um, did you just sort of ask, you know, you know, what is it you do every day, Dad? Or did he sort of have Dungeons & Dragons stuff all around the house and you got into it? Or perhaps uh, travel or something? Well, he always had D&D stuff and board games and everything around the house. So, you know, growing up, they weren't not there. You know, like Monopoly, I didn't know what the heck that was until i was like 12 right. so merchants of venus and role-playing games and D was there and we were also myself and my three siblings were constantly at the shop as well we were kind of igor's little mascots you know oh, look at the cute right. baby now buy some stuff right. <laughs> yeah. yeah so just naturally from there i took a curiosity i loved seeing the pictures and i loved people watching people play and every now and then you, you know you get a good role or you get something everybody ah oh, cheers and i was like i want to be a part of that and so I think it was about seven when I first played D&D, and my father just plopped me down at a table and said, teach him. So that's when I started. <laughs> right. Do you remember what your first character was and what happened in that game? Oh, God. I was the most boring character I've ever played, and I have never – a human warrior with nothing special. Um, I so Other than like that, that, I – Was what is his name Evan Longstaff or something like that? And uh, the dragon I, it, Yeah, it was, it was one of those – it was like – Stephen Backdrop or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Stephen Backdrop. Nice. <laughs> that sounds like an in, that sounds like an in role playing joke name. Stephen Backdrop. Um, uh, maybe I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and so you played Dungeons and Dragons first, and then what did you get into after that? Or is it a little bit like being a kid in a in a candy shop? It sounds like a great idea, but then um, after you've spent a few weeks eating all the candy that you can eat, you sort of become a bit jaded around uh, games, or is that never the case for you? Um, luckily, that's never become the case for me. I've always been found every game interesting, no matter what I played. Like you said, I started as D and D, and then I think right after D and D, I tried to play a game called Rifts. Are you familiar with that one at all? Yes, that must take up a lot of uh, shelf inches in your shop. Uh, it does. Um, and and unfortunately, I was still young. You know, I played D and D from seven to eight at the shop, and then it went to Rifts, and that that was a huge jump that my mind couldn't make at that age. Um, right. There's a lot of higher end math with damage and mega damage from the game that I just wasn't able to get. Um, so that actually was really what jaded me was I tried to play a game and it didn't work out. Right. But 
after, two years after I played, tried to play Rifts, I got back into everything. And ever since then, every game I've played, I've, I've well, I haven't say I loved, but I've loved playing every game I've played. Right, right. And so how many games would you say you've played as a percent of the ones that come in? Like, do you just try every single one or is it just, because I've never really sort of thought about the scope of, um, of the number of role-playing games. There. Obviously, I'm aware that there are a lot, but um, probably not as many as, say, regular works of fiction. So... Do you get contact with most role-playing games that are that are published, or um, would you say that you only scratch the surface as well? Um, to play, I would say that I've only really scratched the surface. I mean, having had access to so many games, I've read a lot of them, but actually playing, i probably say I've only played 30 or 40 role-playing games, which sounds oh. like a lot at first, but when you think about the hundreds that have are currently in process, in, print and ones that are no longer in print it's yes. nothing comparatively right right and so if would you be able to put a number on it like have you ever seen the database entry for the number for the role-playing games and and uh and supplements and so forth that uh, even you guys have have stocked or are currently stock i would say for role-playing games alone uh between supplements and core books and veritable cornucopia of gaming titles we probably have about I would conservative estimate would be seven to eight thousand different titles, and that's that's probably way lowballing how many role playing games we have. Right, right. So, um, so what's your favorite? Can you can you pick one? Oh, in Victoria, uh, which you, you played. Well, I, I, obviously Victoria is top of the list, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's very nice of you to say. Oh, um, absolutely. <laughs> Well, I went back to Rifts after that first horrible experience, and I, I've right. loved Rifts ever since. And uh, right. the whole Palladium series, both Rifts and Palladium Fantasy and <clears throat> all that stuff I really enjoyed. Right. Um, I'd have to say my favorite, though, would probably be Conan, to be honest, just because right. I get to play myself. <laughs> right, right, that's right. For, for those of you that, that haven't seen uh, Jeffrey um, around the place, uh, Jeffrey comes all from right. a line of extremely tall people. And, um, he, I'm not sure if you're still sporting uh, shaggy beard and long shaggy hair, but um, but if you are, I can I can post a, a picture that I took of you at it was was it Gen Con or Origins that uh, that we played together? Um, Gen Con, definitely Gen Con. Gen Con, um, uh, it, uh of Jeffrey, um, that day. So, um, do you still look like that? Uh, a little thinner, but yes. Other than that, pretty much long <laughs> hair and beard right. and stuff like that. Nice. <laughs> Nice and uh, and still not wearing a shirt even in winter. <laughs> I actually am currently wearing a hoodie, so I'm I'm definitely you're fully, you're fully dressed. You're all your fully um, dressed, yes. your bandolier and your uh, He-Man style, right, and, right, uh, right. Braces and stuff are not visible. Okay, <laughs> only on special occasions do I just wear a bandana. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, so I could run through a whole bunch of other um, uh, other questions here, which we might get to at the end. Um, but I'm just going to cherry pick a few just to get to know you a little better and let the guests get to know you a little better. And then we're going to plow on with some uh, convention um, stories and things that you've, you've seen and heard around the place. So my, my probably my favorite question is if you could only role play with four people living or dead, and it can't be people that you currently play with or, or deceased family members or current family members um, or role playing game designers, then, then who would it be and why? Uh, I would do probably Jimmy Stewart, um, primarily because Jimmy Stewart is just so full of life. I mean, it was so full of life and just fun. Seemed like somebody who would be fun to play with. Um, 
Right, 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 right. Um, <laughs> How dare you say Jimmy Stewart? I invited oh. you on the show expecting a great interview, and then you just go and say Jimmy oh, Stewart. Jimmy awesome. Stewart. Oh. I'm sickened. <laughs> That's it. The interview's over. No. <laughs> um, probably Albert Einstein, just because that would give me the opportunity to actually meet that gentleman. <laughs> yes, yeah, uh, fair enough. Two more. Jeez, that's... Uh, um, we'll go with probably Gary Gygax, because that yeah. would be interesting. I mean, I've met him a few yeah. times, but I never got to play with him. And... J.R.R. Tolkien, definitely. <laughs> and so what are you guys going to play? Oh, man. Head to head. We are going to play good old-fashioned uh, Middle-earth role-playing, just to give Tolkien a oh, nice. tip of the hat. Oh, nice. You I love one of, that that's one, one of my too. personal favorites. Right, yeah, mine too. Well, well, there you go. Um, so I'm going to go ahead to another uh, – go ahead one more question, I think, before we crack in with the uh, the um, role-playing uh, – sorry, the role-playing convention um, questions, and that is um, what? who is your favorite um, villain and why? Oh, I would have to go for, oh man, Professor Moriarty from Sherlock Holmes, Arthur Cullen and Sherlock Holmes. I right. think I love him the most just because he of his absolute brilliance and and his ability to think ahead and and not blunder in ways that other villains do that I've seen. Um, right. He doesn't, you know, his henchmen are infallible, almost nearly infallible, and um, through Moriarty being so good, it also forces Sherlock Holmes to be even better, which increases my joy of everything. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Brilliant. Okay, so we may come back to some other questions uh, later on along those lines, but um, now I've prepped Jeffrey ahead of time, and hopefully he's uh, racked his brains for some um, for some, some answers here. But um, in no particular order, um, who are the most rabid fans that you, that, that, uh, you come across uh, in, your, uh, in your job? That's pretty hard to say, um, because... Quite frankly, being part of being considered a dork or a geek or whatever makes you just a rabid fan in general. He's absolutely. But of of everything and everyone that I've met, I'd have to say the most rabid fans are actually either non-gamers, the the anime people that I've met um, at right. gaming conventions are insane. Right. Or um, I would have to say live-action role-playing people. They are the most rabid fans. I mean, they will no matter what you say, you can't dissuade them that everything they do is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> if you're not, if you're not laughing, you're not living. Right. <laughs> All right. Um, okay. So we may come back to that one here in a minute, but what uh, fans like to talk to you the most about? Hi, Marlo. How's it going? That's my daughter. Just showing. She got money. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and she's got it again. Sorry about that, everybody. Um, so uh, what fans like to talk to you the most about their games? Probably your uh, well, it's kind of hard to tell because I would say D and D fans have talked about me most, but admittedly that may be because there just happens to be more D and D players. Sure, I don't know, but more often than not, I would say that D and D people, Dungeons and Dragons, obviously love telling you about their adventures. Right, telling me about their adventures. Right. Um, after that would be old men who play um, squad leader. Tabletop little, I don't know if you're familiar with Squad Leader. I've, I've heard of it. I've never seen it played. 
it's it's a little counter tabletop game. The older gentlemen who play that game love love talking to me about it. Because <laughs> <laughs> well, we um because on the on the show we try not to ever um talk about stuff cool stuff that your character did because every I mean I've never heard a story like that that shouldn't have been uh, the last sentence shouldn't have been I guess you had to be there because nothing ever translates from uh, a spoken version of something that's happening into somebody's head and then what they're imagining and then coming out of their mouths again. It just, it's not, um, it's complete, at least in my opinion, it's, it's completely impossible to capture any of the sort of the excitement or fun. And, and even the describing of it for me at least sort of diminishes it because it, it forces you to try and fill in some of the bits that you kind of gloss over in your mind that weren't quite as, as concrete. So I imagine that being in your, uh, in your line of work, um, at least when you're at conventions and hearing those stories, you must that you must your mind must drift off to other places and other things as people are telling you about the intricacies of their uh, fighter magic user thief and the cool <laughs> things they got into with uh, with Demogorgon or whatever. Yeah, um, when people tell me about their characters, you're right. I I'm just like, okay, you have a character. What do you do? Um, <laughs> um, more often than not, though, when when people talk to me about their actual adventures. I have a tendency to pay attention a little bit more because it just, you know, I, I have a love of doing it myself and I understand that rush of rolling that perfect 20, you know, Oh, we got a 20. Yeah. And, um, but I will admit it happens so often that you're just like, okay. And you just start singing ABBA in your head or something. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Just imagining. Yeah. Cause you're, Yeah, I can't even begin to. I can't even begin to imagine doing that. I mean, it's exciting for somebody to have an audience, I guess. And, and you're a little bit of a well, you are a captive audience there, I guess. With um, well, at at the convention, so it must be like it's that Sunday afternoon when there are fewer people on the floor, and like you can, you can't, you're like, oh, that person wants my help, and sort of disappear. Um, mm-hmm. And you don't have that same, uh, you don't have that same sort of leeway on a Sunday afternoon, perhaps. Like, I mean, Plus, they know I up. can't leave the booth. Oh. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Okay. So, um, what's the rarest thing that you've seen, as a product, at least? As a product? Yeah, like something that's come through uh, Crazy Eagles, or somebody's bought it and shown you something that's really, really rare. Because my idea of rarity would be, you know, the um, would be like the first edition of Chainmail or something like that. But there may be something perhaps that that comes through that um, that is actually far more far more rare than than that even. First edition of Chain Now, I've seen five of those pass through. No. <laughs> um, the most rare thing that I've seen pass through was actually not even a game of our industry. It was um, a British colonial version of Mahjong with, with ebony pieces, ivory dice, and, and just we, we, my father and I tried to find uh, – anything out about it and the best we could do was figure out that it was from like late 18 early 1800s and other than that i mean above that would be a uh, factory sealed copy of the original titan game right what's titan titan is um a game i don't even remember who put it out i think it was games workshop put it out a long time ago Right, because I know that Titan is the name of a um, of a supplement that sort of went along with the fighting fantasy um, books. The sort of the, their fantasy world was called Titan, 
Uh, that's the only right. connection that I have with. Uh, but that may this may be something completely separate. I don't know. I, I think it is completely separate. Um, Titan. All I know, I I've never played it. And I don't even necessarily remember who originally put it out. There was a Reaper at one point, but that's irrelevant. Um, right. Titan's essentially just a monster slugfest. Um, right. literally monsters just duking it out in massive battles. Right. Um, it's like you take all your all your favorite monsters from mythology and legends and stuff like that. You put them in one army and you pit it against right. another army, and that's right. Titan. Cool. Oh, nice. And what year was that produced? Um, originally, I could not tell you off the top of my head. That would be something to ask Igor himself. Yeah, would that be a 70s was... or an 80s? or? Definitely 70s. Right. Okay, so if you've got a mint in box with a, the plastic still on, even though they came in plastic at that time, of Titan, then um, then that's the then that's something... Something with it. Okay, so so going on to the next question then is, what is the most common thing that people ask you if you have? Oddly enough, the thing that I've asked been asked for the most are, is kind of a tie between D&D first edition modules and 7th C books. I don't know if you're familiar with 7th C. Uh, yeah, I'm, I've not actually owned any of them, but I am familiar ah. with uh, Donald Gardner was talking about them on episode 11, ah, I think. Nice. And what what is it particularly about Seventh C that makes that um, so popular, or is it just it was such a limited print run, or? Um, I don't necessarily know if it was a limited print run. Uh, I don't think it was it was out for a long time before it disappeared. But I think the reason it's popular is because it's the whole swashbuckling pirate kind of thing, which is has been the last five years has exploded on the scene. Between that and steampunk, I don't know which one I would say is more popular these days. Right. Right. So, so what's what? So, what's a perennial favorite then? Something that um, that you actually have in stock, which um, which people uh, uh, routinely ask for. Uh, um, is that first edition mo modules and, and so forth again, or is there something that people <laughs> are always looking for a copy of? You know, because you know, people always seem to lose. Um, you always lose one sock in the laundry. Is there any sort of game that people are constantly having to replace because it just seems to go missing? Um, it's kind of a hard question to ask. I mean, we, it's kind of a hard question to answer primarily because of what Crazy Igor did, which was specifically to find hard to find games, you know, the games that people played yes. when they were a kid and then lost. So right. that increased the number of things that we were asked for, um, which is basically my way of saying I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, 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 that's fine because I was that sort of like segues to a, a, a sort of supplementary question I wanted to ask along those lines, which is: Have you noticed that there has been an increase in business of looking for rare, hard to find things as as people of my age, so their kids start leaving home, they've got a little bit more disposable income, and they want to try and get back some of those cool toys and sort of pastime type things, um, which they um, which they cast aside um, foolishly in their youth. Um, yeah, actually, I'd say very much so that over the last several years that the, that particular niche of the industry has really had a boon. Um, but also, there's also been an, a parallel boon in people reproducing games. Like Fantasy Flight is one that's been putting out games that I grew up with, you know, from the 70s, Merchants of Venus and Space Hulk right. and stuff like that. But then, of course, you'll always find the people who want the original. Yes. So, I mean, there's been huge interest in the old games, which in my yes. personal opinion is a good yes. thing. <laughs> but, yeah, huge 
increase and, and so yeah. does it have you but with the the availability of the internet and so forth does it made it more and more difficult to track down these these um these games or has that made it easier because i'm imagining that people may be going on the internet to look for them themselves so you're going to have to cast your net wider to try and track down these items the internet unfortunately and fortunately is a double-edged sword for the right. rare game dealer and an out of print game dealer because you're right you like you said it does greatly increase our ability to procure games i mean crazy igor has an email account and people will contact him constantly whereas he used to have to um call right, right. send letters or whatever and um but the other side of that sword is that you're right people can go out yes. and find their own games so that decreases in their mind right. the need for us and then the the worst part about that is that you'll people will go online and find a copy of something for five dollars and then in their mind that copy that game yes. is now worth five dollars so they'll come to us and go well we have say we have a game listed for 20 yes. and they're like will you take five and, and <laughs> no we won't take five right, it's listed right. for 20. so i mean it's a boon, yes. but it's also a bane. I mean, it's, it's yeah, kind of... Yeah, you said a, a double-edged sword. <laughs> That's a th something that a lot of people, I think, that aren't in retail or haven't worked in, in retail or even making things for themselves um, have uh, have difficulty comprehending. I mean, this, the classic one is the button, you know, like, how could it be that this button costs a dollar when there must be two cents of plastic in this button? But what people don't factor in is that you have to, you know, pay for the electricity in the button factory and the maintenance of the machines and you've got to pay the, the wages of the tea lady and you have to make sure that the, the tiles on the roof of the button factory don't leak and you've got the, the diesel in the trucks that deliver the buttons to the button shops. And, you know, all of those little things that go on go into um, adding value to that, that $2 button so that overall the business can be profitable. They see the $5 from uh, a not brick-and-mortar type shop um, right. and then expect it, expect it to be the same. But also with that is that um, the quality of the item, you know, you've got no way to know what the quality of that item was. I mean, it may be it may be badly damaged in a number of ways, and the, off, the copy that you're offering is in in better condition, and and condition counts, right? If you're dealing in rare um, collectibles, condition definitely counts. And um, I mean, we may not necessarily guarantee that we have one in better condition, but we can guarantee that when we put it in, you can hold it in your hands. And probably yes. about 95% of our the games that we have, you can open up and take a look. We encourage people to open it up and take a look because yes. you can verify yourself that this game is what we say it is. Yes. Like you said, on the internet, there's no way shape or form that you can guarantee that you're getting the game that you want now yes. granted ebay has been very good recently and amazon has been very good recently about reimbursing people who order a brand new copy of merchants of venus and you get a box of rocks yes yeah yeah but unfortunately you know great to have the money back but then you still don't have your game so <laughs> yeah right right absolutely so have you found that um, the number of customers you have at the at the show has gone up or gone down or stayed stayed roughly the same because part of the fun of, of going to Crazy Eagles at the um, at the convention is sort of just wandering around and taking a look at um, at, at things right and remembering oh I want I want that and that must be part of your business as well. Oh yeah, the the, the impulse shopping is ridiculous sometimes at the shop right, right. and at etiquette conventions because you're mm. right i mean it's not that i should reveal state secrets but igor specifically um kind of makes things go in a way that you need to flip through stuff yes. which on the one hand is a hassle but on the other hand i mean 
it's even happened to me at my father's shop where I've been yep. flipping through looking for one thing. And I've been like, wait a second, what was that? Um, yes. To answer the first part of your question, um, I would say that there's been probably a marginal increase. Right. Um, not anything that is, is definite. Um, we've lost some of, we've gained more. Yes. Uh, but I think it's primarily, um, I've lost my train of thought. Wow, I'm awesome at this. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're not being um, judged. The only the whole world is watching. Oh, good. Oh, damn. <laughs> Hi, world. How's it going? Uh, no. no you, you were saying uh, how, um, just like, I mean, all shops do it, right? They don't make it. And when you see CDs for sale and stuff like that, they don't make it super easy for you to go through to exactly that thing because part of it is, when you're dealing in a in something that's not a that's not a need, like when you're you're not dealing in, in milk and, and bread and eggs, when you're dealing in something that's for the fun of it, then exposing people to as many items as possible is it just makes good business sense. And you've said that yourself when you flip through, sometimes you see things. Yeah, yeah, um, and uh, the increase in people has been um, actually I think it's been on on the rise more than I think. Yeah. Um, primarily because I'm not at the shop nearly as much as I once was. And, right. um, but I mean, cause people will come out with things. People will want to go back and find things to use even for new games, which yeah. I encourage as well. Yes. Um, but yeah, <laughs> there you go. Right. So, so it's hard. So what you're saying is it's hard to say, but, but for various reasons, it seems to be fairly, fairly static. But if you haven't yes. been to crazy Eagles, when you go to the show, you go to the show and think, I don't really want to buy anything. First of all, I don't believe you. But second of all, um, just go and have a look and take a scroll down memory lane. The number of books that I've seen, they're like, Oh, I used to have that. Oh, I wonder if I've still got that type stuff. It's, you know, it's just, it's just fun to go and fun to go and have a look. So go check it out. Crazy Eagles. Um, and where can they, just while I think about it, uh, where can they get Crazy Eagles? Uh, is it crazyeagle.com or how do they go online to see the catalog or to ask questions about things that, that people might want? Well, it's probably a little bit moot point at this point, seeing as how there's there's a secret information that you don't have is that Igor was ordered by his doctor to close his shop last year. Oh, is that right? Yeah. So, I mean, he still maintains an eBay presence, and I'm right. sure you could contact him through that. Just Crazy Igor. I believe right. it's his eBay thing, yes. but um, I'm sure he's, despite his, my mother's best wishes, he uh, probably will still be willing to try to find stuff for you if he can. Yes. <laughs> right, so you won't be able to necessarily check him out at uh, Gen Con or Origins, but you can still right. uh, get contact Crazy Igor about, um, about the games and things that you might be interested in. So uh, after that bombshell... Um, so <laughs> what's the, <laughs> what uh, are some of the changes you've noticed in the hobby? In the hobby itself, yes, I would just, say just that overall, um, what change you've noticed over the years. In in the actual product production quality has been increasing exponentially. Uh, for right. those that can afford it, obviously. Um, yes. I remember going through games printed in the the even all the way up into the mid nineties. You would yes. have you'd have poor qual not poor quality, but I mean just things of quality that can't compare nowadays. And um, in the people, I would say the increase in the hobby of the people is. Um, women <laughs> yes 
Yeah, well, that's uh, something that we've been pushing. Like, I've got a convention going on uh, in October myself, and one of the things that we've been really trying to do is to try to push um, inclusiveness. And I don't want, and I'm not using inclusiveness in ter- as a metaphor for you know getting women to do uh, role playing because in certain areas there's a good proportion of people that do role playing, but just to sort of spread the net wider. I mean, it's it has to help the enjoyment of people at the table to have more people with different uh, viewpoints. So that's something we've been really been pushing, but. Um, what would you say um, in terms of customers for for you? Like, what sort of percent would you say change you've seen, or at least anecdotally that you, you've that you've observed? Um, I'd probably say that it used to probably go it, at one point in time, even even five six years ago, the number of of women that we saw was probably only about five percent, maybe ten if we were lucky. Right. And I would say that in the past five years it has increased drastically i'd say right. 25 30 percent it's just been right well wow. <laughs> yeah that, that that's a lot so uh, my next question is and this is one that I've, i'm hoping you've got a super answer for so no pressure at all but um oh, oh, what's crap. the strangest thing someone's talked to you about as you try to work oh my yeah that's a hard question <laughs> well you can strangest. just give me some hits if you like you don't have to single any particular one out but what do people, do people sort of see you as an opportunity to sh- sort of share um, things which you wouldn't ordinarily want to, to know under ordinary circumstances? Yeah, it's very interesting, actually. The number of people who are more than willing to share some pretty insane details about their personal lives with you uh, is just, it's it's appalling. People will come up to you and be like, hi, I've never met you before, but let me tell you about my colonoscopy. It's like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, that has actually happened before and I would probably say that ranks top five of of, yeah 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 yeah. another one um, was a man telling me about his his grand adventures of pulling tinsel from the rear end of his dog it's just (laughs) excellent (laughs) and uh, what was it another one another um, best story though was not even necessarily a story it was it was a product somebody was trying to tell me trying to right. sell and they're like oh look right. the book is fine and and i noticed that s- s- one page is kind of stuck together this is not as disgusting as you're thinking uh, <laughs> how and, do you uh, know how disgusting i think this is oh it's oh, I'm, I'm i'm just assuming you're <laughs> are you assuming that, uh, <laughs> that there's semen coating coating yes, every yes, book that they look at or something oh maybe i don't know <laughs> you've got some sticky pages too but I'm like, what is up with these two pages? The guy's like, oh, he gives this big, long story. And the apex of the story is he sneezed on the book, closed it, and put it back on his bookshelf. I'm like, awesome. (laughs) (laughs) So we would not like to buy that book. And if you wouldn't mind holding your hands in front of your nose, if you happen to sneeze while you're in the shop, that'd be super. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So uh, what's one of the strangest things you've seen um, at, at at a con? All the people oh, wandering past. All the people wandering past. Um, I mean, because I'm imagining you feel a little bit like a sort of an observer in a lot of ways. You know, you're sort of standing there and you're considerably taller than the majority of people. There, so you're probably looking <laughs> over people's heads while somebody tells you about their, their awesome uh, dark elf um, uh, character. And you're sort of staring out. There's ever going off in your head and you're sort of watching the, the people <laughs> sort of wandering by. Um, man, the strangest thing... Is, is really hard. I'd have to say the strangest thing I've seen is um, was actually a, um, a costume. It was a two-part costume. And uh, I don't know necessarily if it's a strange or awesome, 
but <laughs> it's <laughs> the line. The line is so thin sometimes. Um, are you familiar with Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome? Yes. And somebody was a Master Blaster costume. Oh, is that right? Nice. Except, except the weird part was, is that it was reversed. The the short person was on the bottom, and the very <laughs> tall person was on the top. I was just like walking by. I was impressed by the small person's, you know, uh, dur- durability or whatever. <laughs> like, um, other than that, I mean, it's kind of hard to justify calling something strange at a convention, where <laughs> the multitude of people who are considered strange. Well, that's one of mine because I'm guessing that's going to be the, you're yeah. going to reach the you know the height of the height of strangeness if you can uh, if you can stand out as strange amongst a whole bunch of people who are looking quote unquote strange. That must be really special. So, pretty much, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> other than that, like, uh, God, I I wouldn't be. Uh, I have no idea. That's probably the strangest thing that I can remember right now. Right. Um, and would that also qualifies your most yeah. amazing thing you've seen? No, the most amazing thing I saw was. Oh, um, what was the most amazing thing I saw? Will Wheaton trying on kilts. I believe was the most amazing thing I saw. <laughs> <laughs> Were they those those horrible? I mean, those delightful utility kilts. Yes, the delightful utility kilts. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you don't own one, do you, Jeffrey? I'm hoping you don't. Uh, <laughs> do, you, do you wear one? Somebody gave it to me as a no, gift, no, no, that's no, all, no, and I felt I, compelled I, to wear I, it. I don't wear it. one. Um, I actually I bought it specifically to go to a wedding. My friend was like, hey, can you be my best man in, in a month? I'm like, sure. Uh, you need to kill. Uh, okay. So, <laughs> I bought a $20 piece of crap utility kill, but... um. The most amazing thing was definitely Will Whedon trying on kilts because it was after hours I'd gone back to the convention center to, to the exhibitor hall to bring back a stack of games for uh, Playroom yeah. Entertainment. Right. And he's just over there dancing around in a kilt. I'm like, that's pretty freaking funny. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> other than him. Yes, other than, other than that. I mean, take, take some beating there. Um, so going back to something that you sort of glossed over before, and I'm pretty sure that the yeah. listeners' ears um, – pricked up but i was wondering if over the years um who you had actually met um at your uh, table interesting people that had come to your your table you mentioned gary gygax you not actually played with gary gygax but that you'd met him several times oh uh, yeah i met gary gygax several times um dave arneson as well who also had his hands in making of uh yes. Dungeons and dragons actually dave arneson was um reprinted blackmore and he was right across the the, the booth the aisle from us in the booth right, the whole right. convention um, right. uh, man, the people that have come by our, our um, booth is surprising. We had ben, Vin Diesel come specifically to us. He was told to go to Crazy Igor's to find something he was looking for. I don't know if you know, but Vin Diesel's a huge D&D dork. dork. Yes. And yes. Um, uh, we've had... Uh, Did he come after hours? Like, do you have special after hours viewing things? Do people come in like the half hour before the, the con opens and... Look around, was this after hours or was just walking around with regular folks? He, he was just walking around. He wasn't even at the convention as a guest. He was just at the convention. Right, right. Um, we've had um, – not – I'm trying to think, sorry. It hurts my brain. Um, <laughs> we've so had did, a, did, uh, did your dad know, did your dad know um, people like from being at the conventions for – for numbers of years, and some people just sort of come by and say hi, and you're like, "Hey, hang on a minute, that's uh, Gary Gygax." Or, or, yeah, that's happened several times. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Peter Atkinson. He's the guy who, I think, I don't know, I think he founded Wizards of the Coast, 
but right. he right he walked by and he's like hey how's it going paul and blah 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 it's my father's name i was right. like wait that was the guy who what and yes. um yeah <laughs> it happened with um oh the hell is his name um i don't remember his name so moving on <laughs> <laughs> so um when so when Vin Diesel came to uh, to 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 buy stuff, were you able to help him out, or was it like did your did your dad uh, say oh, I'll take care of this son? This I was actually in the bathroom, so. <laughs> oh, oh no! So you sure was... it happened? This wasn't just your dad pulling your leg. No, my my brother told me. Well, although it was my brother, good point. But no, my <laughs> my brother was like Vin Diesel was just here. I was like bullshit. He was just like uh, no, he was he was just here, and like five people around me were like no, he was really here. I was like oh, all right, well okay. <laughs> Oh, dear, so close. You brush with fame. So close, so close. <laughs> um, brush with fame. I've met more famous people at conventions than I want to think about. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing. I mean, I guess that in a way, but um, there's there's a limited number of places that people can go to for those rare and hard to find games. And if you're a a, a celebrity, um, let's say, who's into Dungeons and Dragons or or any of the type of role playing games, then then Crazy Eagles would be one of the places that you would stop. As you mentioned with the with with Vin Diesel there, so so do you find that um, do you do you find that there are like a, a more um, celebrities that are um, interested in role playing or prepared to come out as role players? Like, did that sort of happen at the same time as there was an increase in um, the visibility, at least, of of women at uh, role playing conventions? Like, do you think there's just a general trend towards acceptance for what was a pretty uncool hobby not so terribly long ago? Oh, absolutely. Over, you know, a decade it's been I'm increased in popularity and celebrities are more and more often being willing to talk about it. Because role-playing used to be a taboo. I mean, think about it. The movie, there's like Mazes and Monsters. That movie made yes. us look like demon worshippers. Yes. I mean, <laughs> and... Um, it was supposed to be a secret. Damn you, Tom Hanks. Uh, oh, just stupid Tom Hanks. <laughs> <laughs> But um, yeah, a lot more people are willing to come out of the. Uh, that's kind of a way to say it. Come out of the gaming closet. Um, right. The more and more it's become socially acceptable. Um, of being right. a geek of any form, gaming and anything else. I mean, anime, uh, computer geeks. I mean, this just seems to be that everyone's a little bit more accepting of them. And then you find out that these people who are famous or have gotten or in Hollywood or from wherever are part of the industry. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> well, exactly. Okay, so last question here, Jeffrey. Um, yes. Uh, it's your last last role playing supper. Um, what uh, what game are you what game are you going to play? And and uh, and I would say who are you going to play with? But you you choose the people from from before possibly. So I'm just going to say last role playing supper. What is it that you're uh, going to play? Oh, the last role playing supper. Jeez. Um, Hard question, of course, for the last question. Had to do that to me. That's right. <laughs> um, I can lob you. I can lob you a softball and see it if you like. No, no, hardball is fine. I'm gonna go with uh, probably do classic Dungeons and Dragons. I mean, might as well go out on you know a classic that started everything. Would be the original white box D and D adventure. Right. Just go through and do that with, of course, the first four people we discussed earlier. Since you know. right, right, and so what's what is that? What's the name of that module? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I 
the original uh, the original white box was three books and i don't even know if there was there was a small adventure in the back of one of the books i think i think it was the arduin book that the small adventure was in and i could not for the life of me tell you what the adventure was called because i suck <laughs> you certainly do not ladies and gentlemen <laughs> that's it for this week's episode of penny red so until next week keep talking the walk Thank you.